Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, happy Impeachment Day. It's also Citizens United Day. This is today is the 10th anniversary of Citizens United. And it's the day that the trial of Donald Trump starts in the Senate. And I, th- and I see a very clear connection between the two. Because Citizens United and the two Supreme Court decisions that preceded it, Buckley and Bellotti, those decisions, 76, 78, and 2010, basically completely transformed the Republican Party into a complete shill party. I don't know how to describe it beyond that. It's shills for billionaires, shills for big corporations. The Republican Party bought and sold as a result of the Supreme Court legalizing that kind of behavior. But let's talk about the impeachment. While Donald Trump is on trial in the Senate, many commentators are pointing out that the Senate is also at trial, but not a lot of people are pointing out that democracy is on trial. The American Republic is on trial. The Constitution is on trial. The idea of constitutionally limited separations of power is on trial here. The executive branch, the president, and the legislative branch, Congress, are supposed to operate as two separate spheres. And when Mitch McConnell comes out and says, well, I'm working closely with the president and we're going to basically rig this trial, That's insanely destructive to democracy. And have no doubts, what we see right now around the world, what we see Modi doing in India, what we see Duterte doing in the Philippines, what we're watching right now with President Putin in Russia, where, you know, he's changing the rules of the game. Bolsonaro in Brazil, packing the courts and getting ready to do this stuff. Orban in Hungary. Duda in Poland. I mean, country after country after country, we're seeing slide from being democratic republics to being oligarchies. And that's what's at stake here. I really don't think I'm overstating this. And I think that, you know, when I'm done with this rant, you will probably agree with me if you don't already. I mean, the real danger here is that Trump is not convicted. He claims exoneration. And you and I both know he's perfectly willing to lie about this stuff. When Bill Barr came out, his attorney general came out and lied about what was in the Mueller report and let that sit there for three weeks before America actually found out that the Mueller report said, oh, yeah, they had over 100 contacts with Russians and they were trying as hard as they could, but they were just too incompetent to come up with an actual conspiracy that we could find. And and then in part two, they go in and say, well, maybe they were competent and maybe there was a conspiracy because here's 10 specific instances of obstruction of justice where they just kept the information from us. So we can't be sure if Trump was colluding with foreign governments. And Seth Abramson expands it beyond Russia to Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the United Arab Republic. Or the United Arab Emirates, excuse me, the UAE. So in my opinion, what we're looking at is the fate and future of our democracy, frankly. I think if Trump comes out of this thing still in office, just like he to this day, I mean, it's insane. He said, he says, read the transcript. This is in almost every tweet where he talks about impeachment. Well, he knows that 99 percent 
of Republicans will never read the transcript and 98% of Americans will never read the transcript. So he pretends that that partial transcript of his conversation with Zelensky exonerates him when it actually doesn't. It's so clear that he's shaking down this foreign leader and this foreign government. And if he gets, quote, exonerated, if he is able to run around the country saying, I've been totally exonerated, there was, you know, it was all a hoax, you know, he might get reelected in 2020. I mean, he's betting that he can play this game to his benefit. Keep in mind, I mean, throughout the Republican primary and then throughout the general election in 2015 and 2016, Donald Trump kept saying and doing things that everybody said, oh, my God, he's not going to survive that. There's no way. From the Billy Bush tape to trashing John McCain, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And yet he used all of that, all the publicity that came from that to make everything about him. And here he is. He's president of the United States. So just to go back to first principles, Federalist 65 is where Alexander Hamilton, who was not a slaveholder and worked most of, much of his life against slavery, he was from New York. Alexander Hamilton writes in Federalist 65, in the first paragraph, this is, the, this is where he was talking about this entire Federalist paper, this particular Federalist paper is written about impeachment. And Alexander Hamilton talking about, quote, a well-constituted court for the trial of impeachments. That's the first sentence. He said, the subject of its jurisdiction, in other words, what the Senate should look at in an impeachment trial, the subjects of its jurisdiction are those offenses which proceed from the misconduct of public men. Or, in other words from the abuse or violation of some public trust. I just read to you the first and second sentence of Federalist 65 in which one of the guys who helped write the Constitution lays out exactly why that impeachment is in there. The next sentence after that, He's talking about the offenses for which a president could be impeached. They are of a nature which may with peculiar propriety be denominated political as they relate chiefly to injuries done immediately to the society itself. See, politics is the mechanism through which we decide who's going to basically run our society. And then he adds at the end of this paragraph... He talks about, you know, on the one hand, impeachment is a cure for somebody who's abusing power, abusing their office, which is the first article of impeachment against Trump. The second article of impeachment against Trump is for covering it up. Obstruction of Congress. The White House has turned over not one document. This has never happened before in an impeachment trial. Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and even the initial impeachment investigation uh, for Richard Nixon. In every case, the White House turned over documents that were subpoenaed. Because the subpoena is the law. The White House complied with the law. The Trump administration is not complying with the law. And now it has gone to this political body run by Mitch McConnell. I'm going to go through the pleadings of the Democrats and the pleadings of the Republicans and familiarize you with all this stuff over the next 15, 20 minutes here. But... Hamilton opens this first paragraph of, of Federalist 65, and I encourage you to look it up and read it. He opens the first paragraph by saying that a president shall be impeached for abuse of his public trust. Quote, from the abuse or violation of some public trust, end quote. That's how he opens it. And then he ends the first paragraph with a warning. And he's warning, in my opinion, specifically of Mitch McConnell, he said there will always be the greatest danger that the decision, in other words, the vote in the Senate, in the trial, will be regulated more by the comparative strength of political parties than by the real demonstrations of innocence or guilt. Oh, my God. Alexander Hamilton not a slaveholder, back in 1788, March 7th, 1788, 
saying the greatest danger will be that the decisions will be regulated more by the comparative strength of parties than by the real demonstration of innocence or guilt. The greatest danger, he said. It's not the president, it's Mitch McConnell, according to Alexander Hamilton. So let's dig into exactly, you know, what's going on. And I've got Speaker Pelosi's statement here, too, that I'm going to share with you in a few minutes. But, but let me just lay out exactly who said what. Right. On Saturday, the House impeachment managers, these seven people that Nancy Pelosi introduced us to a few days ago, they put forward a 111-page legal brief, basically their indictment of Donald Trump. And that legal brief includes the following language. President Trump abused the powers of his office to invite foreign interference in an election for his own personal political gain and to the detriment of the nation. The powers which he swore a sacred oath to use for the nation's benefit. Well, actually, the next sentence. The American people entrusted President Trump with extraordinary powers vested in his office by the Constitution. Powers which he swore a sacred oath to use for the nation's benefit. President Trump broke that promise. He used presidential powers. This is from what the Democrats filed with the Senate. He used presidential powers to pressure a vulnerable foreign partner to interfere in our elections for his own benefit. In doing so, he jeopardized our national security and our democratic self-governance. He then used his presidential power to orchestrate a cover-up, unprecedented in the history of our republic. A complete and relentless blockade of the House's constitutional power to investigate high crimes and misdemeanors. That's the first full paragraph from the preamble of this page. And then they continue. President Trump maintains that the Senate cannot remove him even if the House proves every claim in the articles of impeachment, which he has. I'll get to that in a little bit. This is a chilling assertion. It is also dead wrong. The framers deliberately crafted a constitution that allows the Senate to remove presidents who, like President Trump, abuse their power to cheat in elections, betray our national security, and ignore checks and balances. That President Trump believes otherwise and insists he is free to engage in such conduct again only highlights the continuing threat he poses to the nation if allowed to remain in office. Now. That brief was responded to by a six-page brief from the president's people. I'll read that to you, or pieces of it, after the break and share this with you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the impeachment of Donald Trump. Karen in Sandstone, Minnesota. Hey, Karen. Hi, Tom. I really think we need to have a huge demonstration about impeach, remove, and arrest this guy and his whole spider's nest that goes with him. And the best weekend for that is Valentine's weekend. President's Day is Monday. Let's all that, show up somewhere. That's like four weeks from now, right? Yeah, and More I think there's some sort of an impeachment vote on the 23rd. And I thought, do something for the heart of this country, for your, for yourself, too. Yeah. Show up at military cemeteries and demonstrate. If you can't get out of town, go to your city hall, go to your state capitol, demonstrate at Mitch McConnell's house. Yeah. I would say right now, you know, if people are going to go out and stand with a sign, the sign should say, we want witnesses. Yeah. You know, and and I suspect that after the trial is over, you know, as the dust is settling, whether Trump is acquitted or not, if Trump is acquitted, that that will be the time that a lot of people will be pouring out in the streets. And I would keep an eye on, you know, and subscribe to the email lists from Move On. And there's a bunch of groups out there, citizen.org. A big, big show. Countries like China, they demonstrate where you can get shot. You know, yeah. we need, we don't have danger of that. Let's get out there with our signs and demand action on 
Well, I think Heather power. Heyer would disagree with you, Karen, but there are people out there willing to kill other people to promote Trump's racist agenda and perspective, and, and you know, it's well, scary stuff. I mean, but we'll see how this shakes out. Karen, thank you very much for the call. I mean, the bottom line here is this is, at least what Mitch McConnell is proposing, is a cover-up. Now, it's only going to take 51 votes to change the rules of the Senate. And so it's not inconceivable that there might be four Republican senators somewhere. There's four of them who are retiring, we know of, four Republican senators. And then there's another four or five that are in really tight races in purple or arguably even blue states. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. But when you look at what they're trying to do explicitly, it's so clear. This is not a trial. This is, at least if, if it plays out the way Mitch McConnell wants, it's a cover-up. Twenty twenty. A new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. So, as I said, the, you know, the House impeachment managers presented this 111-page document. That I read several paragraphs from the preamble to you a little bit ago. In response to this, Trump's team put together a six-page rebuttal. And in it, they argue that not only is this impeachment trial BS, basically, and what Trump did is just fine, thank you very much. It was a perfect phone call and a perfect shakedown. But that he should be allowed to do this kind of thing going forward. And that even if the Senate votes to remove him from office, maybe he shouldn't leave. Well, I'll read you the opening two paragraphs. This is the Honorable Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, hereby responds. The articles of impeachment submitted by House Democrats are a dangerous attack on the right of the American people to freely choose their president. In other words, they're asserting that the Democrats are you know, basically trying to undo the 2016 election. But the fact of the matter is that you know, what screwed up the ability of Americans to freely choose their president was the Electoral College. Three million more people voted for Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump, yet Donald Trump's in the White House, number one. And number two, you want to see who's trying to undo the, quote, right of the American people to freely choose, end quote, their elected officials? Look in West Virginia, where they just pulled a couple hundred thousand people off the voting rolls, mostly in cities that tend blue. Look at Wisconsin that just did the same thing. Look at Ohio that took it to the Supreme Court and won. Republicans said, oh, yeah, the number one strategy that Republicans are using this year and have been using since 2000, it took Democrats a long time to catch on to this, tragically, is voter suppression. But anyhow, back to, back to Trump's rant. The articles of impeachment submitted by House Democrats are a dangerous attack on the right of the American people to freely choose their president. This is a brazen and unlawful attempt to overturn the results of the 2016 election and interfere with the 2020 election now just months away. The highly partisan and reckless obsession with impeaching the president began the day he was inaugurated and continues to this day. The articles of impeachment are constitutionally invalid on their face write the Republican lawyers. They fail to allege any crime or violation of law whatsoever, let alone high crimes and misdemeanors as required by the Constitution. Well, obviously, that's not the case. Many have argued that they should have actually used the word bribery in, the, in Article 1. I, I agree with that. I think they should have. But basically, what the lawyers are saying is because they didn't use the word bribery, there's no there there. They go on. They are the result of a lawless process. That would be the House inquiry that violated basic due process and fundamental fairness. 
Nothing in these articles could permit even beginning to consider removing a duly elected president or warrant nullifying an election and subverting the will of the American people. So that's basically how the Republicans responded. They continue, in fact, they say the articles themselves and the rigged process that brought them here are a transparently political act by House Democrats. And then they wrap that paragraph up saying, even so, all the House Democrats have succeeded in proving is that the president did absolutely nothing wrong. Right. This is signed, by the way, by Jay Sekulow and Pat Cipollone. Now, McConnell is saying, okay, you want witnesses? We'll discuss it after we have the trial. Just before we vote. And we will not have the witnesses, we will have a discussion about whether, we, whether we'll have the witnesses. And not only that, they may be subject to deposition, which will mean it'll take so long that it won't happen. This is a cover-up, pure and simple. Welcome back, John Hartman here with you. So Nancy Pelosi has issued a statement. She's now, she is not one of the House managers, so she's no longer part of the process, but she is the Speaker of the House, the second person in the line of secession from the President, and one of the senior leaders within the Democratic, certainly the Democratic Caucus, the leader, and within the Democratic Party more generally. And she was the one who put together and made the decisions about who the House managers were going to be, the, basically the prosecutors for this trial. And she issued, this is from the congressional record. She issued the statement and had it read into the record. So this will be part of the permanent record so that you know, people in the future will be looking back at this moment and saying, oh, that's what happened. And I'm just going to share part of it with you. She writes, Leader McConnell's plan for a dark of night impeachment trial confirms what the American people have seen since day one. The Senate Republican leader has chosen a cover-up for the president rather than honor his oath to the Constitution. And let me add, by the way, to any Democrats or anybody on the staff of any Democrats you know, who may be listening to this program, you need to insert the word cover-up into almost every sentence, starting... I mean, well, starting weeks ago, but this just needs to be pounded because that's what's going on. Mitch McConnell is running a cover-up, or he's trying to, and he may succeed. It's all going to hang on, on whether there's four or more Republicans in the Senate who are willing to do the right thing, who are respectful of Alexander Hamilton's comments, for example. She continues. She says, shamefully, this sham proposal does not even allow for admitting the House record into evidence at the trial. By the way, Mitch McConnell was speaking a little while ago, as is usually the case, as we did with the House speeches. You know, I've heard from the Republicans, thank you very much. I don't need them on my air. But when the Democrats are speaking, I, we will go to them and you'll be able to hear what's going on. So you can stay tuned. Back to Nancy Pelosi. This is her comments on what's going on here, read into the congressional record. Shamefully, this sham proposal does not even allow for admitting the House record into evidence at the trial. In other words, McConnell is saying, oh, we don't even want to know evidence that the House found that they thought was impeachable. We don't want to hear any evidence at all. Anyhow, back to Nancy Pelosi. Leader McConnell's process is deliberately designed to hide the truth from the Senate and from the American people because he knows that the president's wrongdoing is indefensible and demands removal. No jury would be asked to operate on McConnell's absurdly compressed schedule, and it is obvious that no senator who votes for it is intending to truly weigh the damning evidence of the president's attacks on our Constitution. Nancy Pelosi continues, the public now knows why Leader McConnell has been hiding his resolution. It just came out this morning, right? His, his proposed rules for the trial. Now the public knows why Leader McConnell has been hiding his resolution. The Clinton comparison was a lie. Clearly and sadly, Leader McConnell has misled the American people, Nancy Pelosi writes. For weeks, he has insisted that he will adhere to the rules used during the Clinton impeachment trial and that fair is fair. But his proposal rejects the need for witnesses and documents during the trial itself. In contrast, for the Clinton trial, 
Witnesses were deposed, and the president provided more than 90,000 documents. President Trump undermined our national security, jeopardized the integrity of our elections, and violated the Constitution, all for his personal political gain. And he has repeatedly said he would do so again. Duty, honor, and country are at stake, writes Nancy Pelosi. Every senator who supports this sham process must be held accountable by the American people. If you want to call your senator, the number for the congressional switchboard is 202-225-3121. Be brief. Speak to a single point. Be respectful. The person taking the call is not the politician that you're upset with. It is likely just, you know, an intern. Now, meanwhile, Adam Schiff says that the stonewalling, the cover-up, the White House cover-up, is now metastasizing. It started in the White House, and then it went to the Department of Justice with Bill Barr redacting huge parts of the Mueller report and still denying you and I the right to see any of the grand jury testimony. So we don't know who said what about what crimes Trump committed or even what they all may be. So the cover-up started in the White House, then it goes to Bill Barr and the Department of Justice, then it goes over to Mick Mulvaney in the Office of Management and Budget. The OMB, Mick Mulvaney, is the guy who specifically ordered the Pentagon 91 minutes after Trump's phone call with Zelensky, specifically ordered them to withhold that military aid to Ukraine, a country in a state of war, an ally of ours in a state of war. We're going to withhold this money until you trash Joe Biden. And Mick Mulvaney has admitted that on national television. Of course we did it. Get over it, he said. And that's the essence of their argument before the Senate in the six-page response and in their initial response. Is what the president did is not impeachable? Get over it. But now it's metastasized. It has grown into, apparently, the CIA as well. Schiff is the head of the Intelligence Committee in the House of Representatives. They have oversight over the CIA and basically all of our intelligence agencies. And so he reaches out to the CIA and he says, I want to see documents that have to do with Trump and Zelensky. And the CIA says, no, you can't see them. We're not going to give them to you. And then on top of that, they typically have an open committee hearing every year, both the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, where they bring in the heads of the intelligence agencies to tell us what the real threats are to our country. And a year ago in those hearings, as they were questioning senior officials, I mean, Gina Haspel, the, the head of the CIA, the head of the NSA, the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, I mean, there you go right down the list. Person after person after person acknowledged that foreign governments interfering in our elections, specifically in the case of most of this testimony in Russia, but broadly speaking, foreign governments interfering in our election was a major security threat. And this so angered Donald Trump that now these guys are afraid to testify because they would have to testify under oath. And if they're under oath, they have to tell the truth. If they have to tell the truth, they got to say, you know, there are foreign governments that want Donald Trump to be president, that wanted him to be president in 2016, that helped make him president in 2016, and that want to see him be reelected as president in 2020. And so they're refusing to come to Congress. Cipollone, in his seven-page letter, he goes on to say that why did we have impeachment? Why was it written into the Constitution? The argument that the president's lawyers are putting forward now is that it was in the Constitution back when the country was, and I quote from Cipollone's letter, or his rebuttal, his, uh, not just Cipollone, it was his t the Trump team's rebuttal to the Democrats' argument. They say, basically, the impeachment clause is BS. It was written when the United States was, quote, a fledgling, debt-ridden republic situated on the seaboard of a vast wilderness continent. I mean, isn't that mind-boggling? They're saying that, you know, no, there shouldn't be any impeachment because, basically, the impeachment clause was put in there way back in another time, another era, when America was a different country. And the, you know, the concern about foreign entanglements, you keep in mind, I mean, George Washington's farewell address 
the whole battle between Madison and or between Adams and Jefferson, all of the if you go back and look at the early history of this country, what people were terrified of was foreign entanglements. And yes, it's true. The Spanish held Florida. The British held Canada to our south and our north. Louisiana was held by the French or Louisiana Territory. And there were, you know, a lot of really seriously angry Native Americans to the West. So, yeah, we were, quote, a fledgling debt-ridden republic situated on the seaboard of a vast American continent. But that doesn't mean that they thought impeachment should only be there for 10 or 20 years. They put it in the Constitution. It's for all time. Which is not to say that the Constitution or the people who wrote it were some kind of geniuses. I mean, they, I think many of them were very smart, but it wasn't like this is the revealed word of God. These were just people. And I don't mean to be making, you know, Trump's argument here that this whole thing about foreign entanglements is trumped by the fact that we're now a superpower. I mean, this is how they, they're saying, you know, Ukraine is, quote, a comparatively small European republic. They don't have, quote, vast treasures at their disposal to, act, to buy, actually buy off the chief executive. In other words, the, the Trump people are arguing that Ukraine is too poor to buy off Trump. To get military aid in exchange for trashing Joe Biden. They're just too poor to do that. Whereas, you know, George Washington, he wasn't that rich. Or uh, let me rephrase that. Back in George Washington's day, England had enough power and enough money. France had enough power and enough money. Spain had enough power and enough money to buy off the president. That you had to worry about. But now we're the superpower. We can't be bought off. This is the argument that the Republicans are putting forward, and it's complete nonsense. And it's pretty breathtaking in its audacity. Uh, it's, in fact, it's very breathtaking in its audacity. The impeachment clause doesn't even serve a purpose anymore? Seriously? We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. This is Adam Schiff speaking before the Senate. Without explanation. Many of the president's aides have also followed his orders and refused to testify. These include central figures in the impeachment inquiry, including White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, and many others with relevant testimony, like Robert Blair and Michael Duffy. Mr. Blair, who serves as a senior advisor to Acting Chief of Staff Mulvaney, worked directly with Mr. Duffy, a political appointee in the Office of Management and Budget, to carry out the President's order to freeze vital military and security assistance to Ukraine. The Trump administration has refused to disclose their communications, even though we know from written testimony, public reporting, and even Freedom of Information Act lawsuits that they were instrumental in implementing the hold and extending it at the President's express direction. Even even as career officials warned accurately that doing so would violate the law. The President has also made the insupportable claim that the House should have enforced its subpoenas in court and allowed the President to delay his impeachment for years. If we had done so, we would have abdicated our constitutional duty to act on the overwhelming facts before us and the evidence the President was seeking to cheat in the next election. We could not engage in a deliberately protracted court process while the President continued to threaten the sanctity of our elections. Resorting to the courts is also inconsistent with a Constitution that gives the House the sole power of impeachment. If the House were compelled to exhaust all legal remedies before impeaching the President, it would interpose the courts or the decision of a single judge between the House and the power to impeach. Moreover, it would invite the President to prevent his own impeachment 
by endlessly litigating the matter in court, appealing every judgment, engaging in every frivolous motion or device. Indeed, in the case of Don McGahn, the president's lawyer who was ordered to fire the special counsel and lie about it, he was subpoenaed by the House in April last year, and there is still no final judgment. A president may not defeat impeachment or accountability by engaging in endless litigation. Instead, it's been the long practice of the House to compile core evidence necessary to reach a reasoned decision about whether to impeach and then to bring the case here to the Senate for a full trial. That is exactly what we did here with an understanding that the Senate has its own power to compel documents and testimony. It would be one thing if the House had shown no interest in documents or witnesses during its investigation, although even there, the House has the sole right to determine its proceedings, as long as it makes the full case to the House, as it did. But it is quite another when the President is the cause of his own complaint, when the President withholds witnesses and documents, and then attempts to rely on his own noncompliance to justify further concealment. President Trump made it crystal clear we would never see a single document or a single witness when he declared, as we just watched, that he would fight all subpoenas. As a matter of history and precedent, it would be wrong to assert that the Senate is unable to obtain and review new evidence during a Senate trial, regardless of why evidence was not produced in the House. You can and should insist on receiving all the evidence so you can render impartial justice and can earn the confidence of the public in the Senate's willingness to hold a fair trial. Under the Constitution, the Senate does not just vote on impeachments. It does not just debate them. Instead, it is commanded by the Constitution to try all cases of impeachment. If the Founders intended for the House to try the matter and the Senate to consider an appeal based on the cold record from the other chamber, they would have said so. But they did not. Instead, they gave us the power to charge and you the power to try all impeachments. The framers chose their language and the structure for a reason. As Alexander Hamilton said, the Senate is given awful discretion in matters of impeachment. The Constitution that speaks to senators in their judicial character as a court for the trial of impeachments. It requires them to aim at, aim at real demonstrations of innocence or guilt, and it requires them to do so by holding a trial. The Senate has repeatedly subpoenaed and received new documents, often many of them while adjudicating cases of impeachment. Moreover, the Senate has heard witness testimony in every one of the 15 Senate trials, full Senate trials in the history of this republic, including those for Presidents Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. Indeed, in President Andrew Johnson's Senate impeachment trial, the House managers were permitted to begin presenting documentary evidence to the Senate on the very first day of the trial. The House managers' initial presentation of documents in President Johnson's case carried on for the first two days of trial, immediately after which witnesses were called to appear in the Senate. This has been the standard practice in prior impeachment trials. Indeed, in most trials, this body has heard from many witnesses, ranging from three in President Clinton's case to 40 in President Johnson's and well over 60 in other impeachments. As these numbers make clear, the Senate has always heard from key witnesses when trying an impeachment. The notion that only evidence that was taken before the House should be considered is squarely and unequivocally contrary to Senate precedent. Nothing in law or history supports it. To start, consider Leader McConnell's own description of his work in a prior Senate impeachment proceeding. After serving on the Senate Trial Committee in the case of Judge Claiborne, Leader McConnell described how the Senate committee, quote, labored intensively for more than two months amassing the necessary evidence and testimony. In the same essay, Leader McConnell recognized the full body's responsibility for amassing and digesting evidence. There was certainly a lot of evidence for the Senate to amass and digest in that proceeding. This 
which involved charges against a district court judge in the Senate, heard testimony from 19 witnesses. Welcome back. Adam Schiff is currently still speaking before the United States Senate. Uh, Here he is. He's the lead impeachment manager, Adam Schiff. At no point did the Senate limit evidence to what was before the House. It did the opposite, consistent with unbroken Senate practice in every single impeachment trial, every single one. For example, of the 40 witnesses who testified during President Johnson's Senate trial, only three provided testimony to the House during its impeachment inquiry. Only three. The remaining 37 witnesses in that presidential impeachment trial testified before the Senate. Similarly, similarly, the Senate's full first impeachment trial, which involved charges against Judge Pickering, involved testimony from 11 witnesses, all of whom were new to the impeachment proceedings and not had, had not testified before the House. There are many other examples of this point, including the Senate's most recent impeachment trial of Judge Porteous in 2010. It is one that many of you and some of us know well. It, too, is consistent with this long-standing practice. There, the Senate heard testimony from 26 witnesses, 17 of whom had not testified before the House during its impeachment inquiry. Thus, there is a definitive tradition of the Senate hearing from new witnesses when trying articles of impeachment. There has never been a rule limiting witnesses to those who appeared in the House or limiting evidence before the Senate to that which the House itself considered. And that is because, as Senator Hiram Johnson explained in 1934, the integrity of Senate impeachment trials depend heavily upon the witnesses who are called, their appearance on the stand, their mode of giving testimony. There is thus an unbroken history of witness testimony in Senate impeachment trials. Presidential and judicial, I would argue in the case of a president, it is even more important to hear the witnesses and see the documents. Any conceivable doubt on this score, and there should be none left, is dispelled by the Senate's own rules for trial of impeachment. Obtaining documents and hearing live witness testimony is so fundamental that the rules of procedure and practice in the Senate when sitting on impeachment trials, which date back to the 19th century, devote more attention to the gathering, handling, and admission of new evidence than any other single subject. These rules expressly contemplate that the Senate will hear evidence and conduct a thorough trial when sitting as a court of impeachment. At every turn, they reject the notion that the Senate would take the House's evidentiary record, blind itself to everything else, and vote to convict or acquit. For example, Rule 6 says the Senate shall have the power to compel the attendance of witnesses and enforce obedience to its orders. Rule 7 authorizes the presiding officer to rule on all questions of evidence, including but not limited to questions of relevancy, materiality, and redundancy. This rule, too, presumes that the Senate trial will have testimony, giving rise to such questions. Rule 11 authorizes the full Senate to designate a committee of senators to receive evidence and take testimony at such times and places as the committee may determine. As Rule 11 makes clear, the committee's report must be transmitted to the full Senate for final adjudication. But nothing herein, the rule states, shall prevent the Senate from sending for any witness and hearing his testimony in open Senate or by order of the Senate involving the entire trial in the open Senate. Here, too, the Senate's operative impeachment rules expressly contemplate and provide for subpoenaing witnesses and hearing their testimony as part of the Senate trial. And the list goes on. These rules plainly contemplate a robust role for the Senate in gathering and considering evidence. They reflect centuries of practice of accepting and requiring new evidence in Senate trials. This Senate should honor that practice today by rejecting this resolution. What about the Clinton trial? This is Adam Schiff. What about the Clinton trial? The, be the House Intelligence Committee is the lead of the uh, impeachment managers. Every other impeachment trial in history, including the president, impeachment of President Andrew Johnson, What about the Clinton trial? Aren't we following the same processes in the Clinton trial? The answer is no. First, the process for the Clinton trial was worked out by mutual consent among the parties. 
That is not true here, where the process is sought to be imposed by one party on the other. Second, all of the documents in the Clinton trial were turned over prior to the trial. All 90,000 pages of them, so they could be used in the House's case. None of the documents have been turned over by the President in this case. And under Leader McConnell's proposal, none may ever be. They certainly won't be available to you or to us during most or all of the trial. If we are really going to follow the Clinton precedent, the Senate must insist on the documents now, before the trial begins. Third, the issue in the Clinton trial was not one of calling witnesses, but of recalling witnesses. All of the key witnesses in the Clinton trial had testified before the grand jury or been interviewed by the FBI, one of them dozens of times, and their testimony was already known. President Clinton himself testified on camera and under oath before the Senate trial. He allowed multiple chiefs of staff and other key officials to testify, again, before the Senate trial took place. Here, none of the witnesses we seek to call, none of them have testified or been interviewed by the House. And as I said, the President cannot complain that we did not call these witnesses before the House when their unavailability was caused by the President himself. And last, as you will remember, those of you that were here, the testimony in the Clinton trial involved decorum issues that are not present here. You may rest assured, whatever else the case may be, such issues will not be present here. In sum, the Clinton precedent, if you're serious about it, if we're really serious about modeling this proceeding after the Clinton trial, the Clinton precedent is one where all the documents had been provided up front, where all the witnesses had testified up front prior to the trial. That is not being replicated by the McConnell resolution, not in any way, not in any shape, not in any form, far from it. The traditional model followed in President Johnson's case and all of the others is really the one that's most appropriate to the circumstances. The Senate should address all the documentary issues and most of the witnesses now, not later. The need to subpoena documents and testimony now has only increased due to the President's obstruction for several reasons. First, his obstruction has made him uniquely and personally responsible for the absences of the witnesses before the House. Having ordered them not to appear, he may not be heard to complain now that they followed his orders and refused to testify. To do otherwise only rewards the President's obstruction and encourages further future presence to defy lawful process in impeachment investigations. Second, if the President wishes to contest the facts and his answer and trial brief indicates that he will try, he must not continue to deny the Senate access to the relevant witnesses and documents that shed light on the very factual matters he wishes to challenge. The Senate trial is not analogous to an appeal where the parties must argue the facts on the basis of the record below. There is no record below. There is no below. This is the trial. Third, the President must not be allowed to mislead the Senate by selectively introducing documents while withholding the vast body of documents that may contradict him. This is very important. The President must not be allowed to mislead you by introducing documents selectively and withholding all of the rest. All of the relevant documents should be produced so there is full disclosure of the truth. Otherwise, there is a clear risk that the President will continue to hide all evidence harmful to his position while selectively producing documents without any context or opportunity to examine their creators. And finally, you may infer the President's guilt from his continuing efforts to obstruct production of documents and witnesses. The President has said he wants witnesses like Mulvaney and Pompeo and others to testify, and that his interactions with Ukraine have been perfect. Council has affirmed today that will be the President's defense. His conduct was perfect. It's perfect. 
perfectly fine to coerce an ally by withholding military aid to get help cheating in the next election. That will be part of the president's defense, although albeit not worded in that way. But now he has changed course and does not want these witnesses to testify. The logical inference in any court of law would be that the party's continued obstruction of lawful subpoenas may be construed as evidence of guilt. Let me conclude. The facts will come out in the end. The documents which the president is hiding will be released through the Freedom of Information Act or through other means over time. Witnesses will tell their stories in books and film. The truth will come out. The question is, will it come out in time? And what answer shall we give if we did not pursue the truth now and let it remain hidden until it was too late to consider on the profound issue of the president's guilt or innocence? There are many overlapping reasons for voting against this resolution, but they all converge on a single idea. Fairness. The trial should be fair to the House, which has been wrongly deprived of evidence by a president who wishes con to conceal it. It should be fair to the president, who will not benefit from an acquittal or dismissal if the trial is not viewed as fair if it is not viewed as impartial and fair to you senators who are tasked with the grave responsibility of determining whether to convict or acquit and should do so with the benefit of all of the facts and fair to the American people who deserve the full truth and who deserve representatives who will seek it on their behalf. And with that, Mr. Chief Justice, I yield back. So that was Adam Schiff. Timed it perfectly, Adam. Uh, Congressman, excuse me. We'll be, we'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls in just a moment. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's impeachment day in the United States Senate. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, right now, uh, Pat Cipollone, uh, Trump's lawyer, is making his case. But I listened to it during the break, and it just seems like mostly BS. He's complaining that Adam Schiff doesn't want to build his case right now. Well, well, Schiff was talking, as you heard, Schiff was talking about how Mitch McConnell is preventing them from making their case by preventing witnesses and preventing documentary evidence. Interesting, there are reports that there have been changes to the McConnell resolution. In other words, Mitch McConnell is starting to disintegrate basically here. Number one, he has said uh, it'll be three days, not two, for the testimony. So he's giving everybody a little more time. And number two, he says evidence will automatically be admitted. Now, this is not testimony still, but it's evidence unless someone objects. And then number three, under the revised rules, the House, which has compiled a pile of evidence, you know, they heard from all his witnesses and everything, the House will be allowed to present their evidence. Which brings us to my prediction. I see this shaking out one of two ways. And to some extent, one of those two ways will have something to do with you calling your senators if you have a Republican senator who represents you, or two of them. One of two things is going to happen. Either Trump can keep all these Republican senators, or all but three of these Republican senators, cowed, terrified, frightened, quivering in their corners and keep them voting with him. Either he can do that or he can't as we go through this impeachment process. It's really that simple. Now, what happens if he can keep them frightened because they don't respect him, they don't like him, they're afraid of him. Trump is a bully. And very often what happens is that when bullies are ascendant, everybody's scared. To you know, I remember Dennis, this kid in elementary school who lived down the street from me. He used to beat the crap out of me all the time. And not just me. 
He was a bully. Until we got into middle school and he started running up against kids who were bigger than him. And suddenly Dennis was changing his tune. Right. This is how it works with bullies. They eventually meet somebody who's bigger than they are, stronger than they are, braver than they are. I mean, bullies by definition are not brave, but you understand what I'm saying. So the way that everybody's expecting this to play out is that Mitch is going to deep six the evidence. Mitch is going to deep six the, the witnesses. Oh, we'll hear from the witnesses after we've had all the evidence and the arguments. Mitch is going to basically rig the game and Trump is going to win. That's what everybody's expecting. And Trump is going to win because he will be able to hold at least all but three of his Republican senators so that, you know, none of the Democratic amendments or motions are acknowledged. Now, McConnell just gave in on three of them, if these news reports are correct. Which leads me to scenario number two. Scenario number two is Trump loses control of Republicans in the House. Now, it starts with a little crack. This is sort of like a dam breaking, right? It starts with a little crack. Mitt Romney coming out and saying, I don't think this is right. And then the crack gets a little wider. Two, three, four other senators who are concerned about their election, their re-election, like Susan Collins or Cory Gardner. Susan Collins in Maine, Cory Gardner in, in Colorado. Either one of them, or Martha McSally in Arizona, one of them or several of them start saying, okay, Mitt, I'm on your side. And once they hit three or four, and that will probably happen fairly quickly, then all of the Republicans in the Senate, with the possible exception of Lindsey Graham, all the Republicans in the Senate are going to say, thank God. We can replace this guy with Mike Pence. We can do business with Mike Pence. We know Mike Pence. Mike Pence is not crazy. He's not corrupt. He's not mobbed up. He's not a gangster. Yeah, he might have been more than happy to participate with Trump in a, in a gangster event, but, you know. And Trump gets voted out of office. They remove him. And everybody breathes a sigh of relief, and Donald Trump is gone. And I don't think that's impossible. I put right now the odds of that happening at around 5%. But these changes in the rules that Mitch McConnell just made, you know, originally I was thinking 5%, make me think now maybe it's more like 15%. And listening to what I heard of Cipollone's arguments, you know, I don't think they have a case. He's attacking Adam Schiff personally. He was attacking Jerry Nadler as a person. Said, so, well, when he was applying for this job, condescending. There's going to become a point when the BS is so thick and so smelly that the Republicans say, okay, enough. And they turn on Trump. And Trump is on the outside looking in. And that could happen that fast. You recall, this started a couple of years ago. With Bob Corker, the Republican congressman from Tennessee, or Kentucky, I think it's Tennessee, and Jeff Flake, the Republican senator from Arizona. And they, on the floor of their respective bodies, called out Donald Trump. Well, Trump politically slit their throats. That was the end of them. And that's why all these senators are, as I said, afraid of him. So Trump patched that crack real fast. But we'll see. We'll see. Anyhow, picking up your phone calls. Joan in Rochester, Minnesota. Hey, Joan, what's up? Well, I was just wondering why Trump needs seven, seven or more plus attorneys to prove his innocence. If he's innocent, he doesn't need anybody to speak except for himself. And it's just a travesty to have all these people marching behind him you know, like the Pied Pipers. Well, so there are there are seven Democrats who are prosecuting that the case. He is what he is, and we have a new president. Yeah, Joan, forgive the interruption, but we're going to hit the, the break in, in five possible. seconds here. The, <laughs> it's not how many lawyers he has. That That's not the issue. The, the Democrats have seven lawyers, too. The issue is whether we're going to hear from any witnesses. You can't have a trial without witnesses. 
Mitch McConnell is not orchestrating a trial. He's orchestrating a cover-up. And the question is whether he's going to be successful at doing that. And that's what we need to keep pounding on. And every Democrat in the media and who's speaking behind any kind of a live microphone needs to be using the word cover-up in at least every other sentence. We'll continue all this tomorrow. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget, democracy requires you. So get out there, get active, tag your it, and tell your friends where to find progressive media. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155.